This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 12. Today we are particularly focusing on Episodes 7 and 8 of Planet With and how our characters are set up as we move into the second half. In our previous Planet With videos, we talked about avenging versus sealing as the two extremes of obliteration or pacification that certain characters seemed driven toward. We next wrote about the problems with force, how hard it is to govern, and how it can even be addictive in its usage. Now I want to talk about some base motivations, focusing on three prime movers that drive our characters, in all or in part. And these are love, fear, and duty. Episode 6 seemed to end the first half of the show, with 7 and 8 advancing us into the rest of the story. We had 10 characters who had some characterization in these past two episodes, and so in the spirit of understanding what we're heading into, I want to particularly look at these 10 in brief and which one or two of these motivating factors is ascendant in them. So we have three characters who not only represent the three factions that have tussled thus far, each particularly seems to embody one of our three prime movers. These are the Generalissimo, Sensei, and the Dragon. The Generalissimo obviously represents the Sealing faction and Sensei the Pacifists. The Dragon and his spiritual successor Takashi end up representing a faction that both of these others work to suppress, albeit in different ways. Justice is the ideal that both the dragon and Takashi espouse, and for this reason I associate them with the idea of duty. To them, justice should be a type of cause and effect. An action requires justice, therefore they must dispense justice. It's their duty. It's an obligation they enforce upon themselves or others. It should supersede how they personally feel. Now, Sensei and the Generalissimo both have a sense of duty, right? Um, as would befit those in their role. Uh, they have a much more nuanced idea of duty than the dragon or Takashi, though, which is primarily why they come into conflict with them. However, each appears to be pursuing their duty as they see it from a different place. Sensei operates from a place of love, of acceptance, of trying to change behavior to promote to the best rather than eradicate the worst. He defends the Rylians, but does not attack the Sirisians. Instead, he tries to save both them and the dragon. He has great empathy, believing that humans can find their own way, believing even that the Sirisians can do similar, as he hopes to prove with Soya. The Generalissimo, though, seems to operate from a place of fear. He's not willing to risk negative outcomes in pursuit of positive ones. He fears a repeat of Sirius. He fears the dragon's power. He is slow to trust Benica. 
It's not surprising he would conclude that lobotomizing a whole race, just in case it goes wrong, is an acceptable course of action. He still sees this as fulfilling his duty of preserving peace, just like Sensei, but their different prime mover leads them to be on opposing sides. Next, let's look at our Earthlings and which of these drive them. Torai has re-entered the fray after what seems like an early exit in Episode 1. His prime mover is duty, as he has a self-enforced mission of saving others. Losing his powers and the dissolution of Grand Paladin didn't change anything about him. He's out there helping recovery just as surely as if he'd still been a civil servant. Once Benika clues him into his powers, he goes right back to trying to protect as many as possible. He is motivated by some love as well, um, as I believe his concern for others is genuine, but he's also motivated a bit by fear, the fear of loss, as his original motivation for becoming a firefighter was a guilt at not being able to save his mother in his youth. Even though he is duty-driven just like the dragon, his is a very pure-hearted form. He is driven by a wish for a certain outcome rather than a wish to enforce a certain ideology. When Soya doesn't want to fight, Torai doesn't insist on it. Instead, he takes up the mantle himself. His duty is for him. Benica ended up getting a lot of development and has turned out pretty interesting. She is driven by fear, a fear of the negative consequences that can arise from possession of power. There's also some sense of duty from her, probably owing to her past in law enforcement, and so it is little wonder she ends up siding with the Sealing faction. Her motivation comes from the instance in her past that she relates to the Generalissimo, which caused the loss of a co-worker she looked up to. There's some implication that she loved this man, and he turns out to be Yosuke's older brother to boot. More on that later on. Seeing this man die at the hands of someone who didn't necessarily set out to do wrong has a deep impact on her. Now that she has a power of her own, she fears repeating that kid's mistake. That is, she doesn't fear what others may do nearly so much as she fears what she may do. This leads to a fascinating showdown in the eighth episode. She's given the sealing device and advances towards the shoreline, giving plenty of opportunity for someone to come stop her. In fact, it's what she is expecting, maybe even wanting. She is basically walking toward humanity with the intent to disarm them, but with her hands up, just like the detective from her past. She is waiting to see if she is answered with violence as he was. The fact that it is Torai who comes to stop her is pretty key. Yosuke compares Torai directly to our deceased detective, and Torai points out that Benika herself gave him the clue necessary to even be in this position. She fears what she or others will do with power, but she wants to be wrong. This incident with Todorai might end up changing her away from fear. Yosuke, on the other hand, is probably going to be a problem. This last episode really made him click into focus for me, and I would say that he is moved by fear as well. There's also a sense of duty to Benika, but I'm unconvinced it's from a place of love. The revelation that the detective she probably crushed on was his older brother suggests to me that Yosuke is envious, or that he feels a sense of inadequacy. This is especially apparent in his comments about Torai. I think he crushes on Benika, but knows how she felt about his brother, and his own lack of confidence complicates the whole mess. I mentioned in a previous video my thoughts on the ending credits, that the characters appear to have their true or hidden selves reflected in Soya's mask, while the non-reflected versions were the mask that they show to others. This especially seems true now that we see how Shiraishi has been acting lately. 
Anyway, I said that Yosuke was someone to keep an eye on because of the ominous nature of his reflection. Now that I see him as someone with a fear of inadequacy, I find myself concerned, both for Benica and Torai. Lastly, among Earthlings, we have Tagaha Banana. She also has what I think is a key clue in the ending credits, which is that she is the only one without a reflection. I think this implies that she is the same inside and out. Her prime mover is love, which is obvious right from the start when she tries to befriend Soya because she herself was once an outsider. Lately, it seems to be a bit of a crush on Soya as well, along with gratitude because of her impression of him as a defender of the town. However, this is more than admiration from afar. When Soya has his emotional breakdown in episode 8 and rails against fighting anymore, Tarakanawaga steps up to protect him instead. She's way over her head with these people, but her resolve is fierce. Even though she thinks Soya has been protecting the town, the danger of him not fighting is less important to her than the obvious distress he is in during that moment. No fear, no deferring to duty. She's all love. If you made me gamble on which of these characters besides Soya will prove to be clutch at the story's end, my money is on the class rep. So next we have our three remaining characters that aren't the standard bearers or earthlings. These three theoretically have the least skin in the game, though I don't think the story is going to respect their wishes. First off is Shiraishi, and I think the stress is getting to her. She is moved by duty, even going so far as to be a professional secretary for some time in contrast with her, uh, personality. She does not ever seem moved by fear or love, though perhaps envy does get a rise out of her. But she does appear concerned with things progressing the way they are supposed to, performing her duty to the ceiling faction as she sees it. This first includes helping Grand Paladin compete with Nebula on an even footing. Later, this means trying to convince Soya to continue the fight against the ceiling devices, drawing Ginko's comment about Shiraishi being more interested in convincing him than they are. No ulterior motive suggests itself to me about her. Honestly, outside of performing her duties, she seems rather vacuous. Maybe her ridiculous antics will end up being cover for something nefarious, but for now, she seems like a duty-bound, if somewhat goofy, soldier. Next is Ginko, who turns out to be the Princess of Rael. Who would have guessed her little crown was real? You better really be grateful for all that home cooking now, Soya, you peasant. Ginko is increasingly awesome to me as the series progresses. Her motivation unsurprisingly lines up with Sensei's. She is moved by love and duty. Love and the concern for her own people, for Soya, for the others they have fought against. And duty in her immediate decision to go with Sensei for the future betterment of her own people. But not just her people. She risks injury to herself by listening to cries of pain on Sirius to help guide Sensei, and is here on Earth attempting to save them from being sealed. All of her discomfort and surprise when she shared in Soya's wrath against Takashi tells us that the aggressive violence that others fear is completely incompatible with her. Hopefully this means she is a safe steward for all the dragon sand that she's been collecting. Lastly, Soya. His prime mover also seems to be fear, though it mostly manifests as anger. Once he loses that by completing his revenge, he is nearly a husk, empty and bereft of purpose or vigor. None of what he did restores his planet or town or the people he used to know. Where anger used to reside, now a certain guilt and helplessness have moved in. He realizes the damage he did to the town and to Sensei, and that he's part of why classmates have vanished and businesses have closed down. 
he is probably moving toward Beneka's line of thinking, that he fears what he is capable of. He is also in an odd place compared to the rest because he is not just unmotivated by duty, he seems completely opposed to the idea. The fate of Earth also does not move him as he is now, so there is no love guiding him either. Sensei's quest to prove the dragon wrong about the people of Sirius has a long way to go. Now, he is surrounded by basically all of our love movers, so it's not exactly a hopeless situation, but it has suddenly gotten more complicated. The dragon has not perished, and Soya is being astral stalked by one of the people of paradise. Now, they are apparently the oldest race in the universe, and possibly founded Nebula, but Sensei and Ginkgo's reaction is not one of wonder or joy. Moreover, the series of images that flash when the dragon is subdued suggests to me that the people of paradise and the dragon will end up being fundamentally linked. No matter how much he wishes it, I don't think Soya's fight is over at all. Now, although I think these three prime movers help us sort out these current characters, I don't want you to think I mean that these are the only emotions that they are experiencing. After all, guilt is part of what makes up Beneka, Torai, and Sensei's motivations, and yet each of them has a different prime mover. They don't all break neatly into the three fractions along these lines either, although there is some correlation. Rather, some key moments in the series to come are likely to involve characters choosing one of these three over another. When it gets down to it, does the Generalissimo choose his fear or his duty? Or does he remember that he chose the evolution of love? Will it be possible to have the dragon abandon his own cause? Will Ginkgo and Sensei be able to maintain their support of ending things the way the pacifists want, with love? Or will they have to make a hard choice to preserve their duty to their own people? And, of course, what will move Soya when the time comes? So, last reminder that I'm going to be on vacation next week, so there will be no new videos from this shorter format. I've held back one of the longer ones from the past to release instead, so that the channel doesn't go silent for two weeks. Um, I'll see you when I return. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash nearly on red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.